0: This podcast was recorded on May 9th, 2019. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine is no obligation to provide any updates or changes.
1: Warning, the following audio contains explicit language. Please listen at your own discretion.
2: All right, welcome to the Sherman Show. We're sitting here at the Salt Conference in 2019, the 10th annual one, and we are very pleased and fortunate to have the host of the Salt Conference, none other than Anthony Scarmucci, a.k.a. The Mooch. He's a founding and managing partner at Skybridge Capital and host of the Salt Conference. You may have seen him in some of his other stints, but... Welcome to the
1: Sherman Show. You're not going to mention I get fired from the White House, shot out of there like a cannon. You're not going to mention that. That was my You're being first nice. question. You're being no, nice. no, no, uh, it's an honor to be on the show. Congratulations on this show, by the way. Thank got you. Got a very huge following, and not just the financial services community, but a lot of people listening. Yeah, so great. Congratulations. Hey, it's
2: because we get guests like you. That's what helping us out too here. So you talked about a cannon and being shot out of Washington.
1: Let's talk about well, that. You know, look, I wasn't ready for Washington. I didn't have the understanding of how they operated, and they probably weren't ready for me. But they have a very good immunological system. They see a guy like me coming. They're like, "We got to get this guy out of here fast. This guy's telling the truth. can't have that in Washington. What are you crazy? They are the type of people that have an aversion to the truth. They like ha ha hee hee to each other. I'm a New Yorker. New Yorkers are on rinse cycle. Okay, Washington people are on spin cycle. There's a very big difference between rinse and spin.
2: So let's dig into the depths of that spin. Are you talking about the spin of news stories, narratives?
1: Yeah, just lies. We're going to tell lies all the time. We're going to look you right in the face. You know the truth. I know the truth, I'm going to tell you a lie. And then you're going to say a lie back to me, and we're going to tap each other on the back. That was like one of the more fun conversations I had with General Kelly. You know, he fired me from the White House. Did you see his interview yesterday? I did not. We're flying to you. He's fired me from the White House. I called him. I said, come to the conference. Well, we'll do a one-on-one interview together. We had lunch, and he said something to me that was fun. I said, hey, listen, how do you want this to go, General? Should we have a Washington two-step conversation where we— Tap each other on the back and say, ho, ho, ha, ha, he, he. We're both blue collar guys. We blow blue collar neighbors. Let's have a real conversation. Which one do you want to have? Oh, no, no. I want to have a real conversation. That's not Washington. So what did you guys discuss in that real conversation? We discussed the fact that I had done something fireable, that I had actually, and I said that to General Kelly, I'm accountable for the mistake that I made in Washington. I trusted somebody, trusted a journalist. Imagine that. The kid was, his father was a 50-year friend of my father. My parents used to socialize with them and go to dinner with them regularly. The kid grew up in a town next door to mine in an Italian-American neighborhood, and he asked me... A question on a telephone line he said hey I work for the New Yorker I would like to do a profile on you and I said what do you think I'm a self-promoter like Steve Bannon I'm not in my office like am I then he called me the next day He said, you know I recorded that whole conversation you never once said that it was off the record and so I'm running with it to CNN and I'm gonna write a very big explosive story and I said you're gonna get me fired I said our families know each other for 50 years you are gonna get me fired it's very, very transactional. Why are you doing that to me? I mean, you could have, we have a family history. Well, you and I don't know each other that well. We only met about six, eight months ago. Yeah, our parents do know each other, but you and I don't know each other that well. I said, why be so transactional? You're going to burn me. I'm for sure going to get fired. And this is going to be the last time you and I talk. Why can't we build a relationship together? That's Washington. That's Washington. So he burnt me, and you know he's had his comeuppance, and he's had karma hit him. But these are very, very bad people. I want you to imagine the worst person you ever met in your life. You got him in your head. Okay, okay, you got him. You got the worst person you ever met in your life. You got him in your head. You're writing it (laughs) down. I got a smile too. You're writing it down. down. You're ready to shoot a dart at the guy's head, (laughs) right? Okay, you got the worst person in your head. That's the best person in Washington. Okay, you got that? That is the vicar of morality in Washington. These are the worst. Of the worst, and they've destroyed the civilization. They racked up 22 trillion dollars of debt. Your friend Jeff Gunlock and partner going to 30. They don't care. They don't care. So we have a crumbling infrastructure, crumbling education system, no industrial policy, no plan of attack on really how to handle the Chinese on AI or cyber piracy. But here's what we should do: let's have a Kabuki theater. We'll pee on President Trump over this, and we'll Mueller report him on that. And we'll have an investigation over here. We'll have an investigation of the investigation. And no, by the way, what we want everybody to do is tune out. We want to suck so badly that 50, 60% of the voters will not vote. This way we can perpetuate ourselves in power. Okay? These are people that want to rule. They don't want to serve. If you want to serve, you do the right thing. And if you want to serve, you do the right thing no matter what the consequences are. So you get a gun control law that makes sense. and You get a universal background check on everybody. So lunatics can't shoot young kids in schools. That's what you do, but well, no, no, no. We got a gun lobby, and you got this, and we got that. We can't do that. So is it ever fixable? I tell the guys in the NRA, I'm a Second Amendment guy. Okay, I grew up with guns. Okay, my father is from northeastern Pennsylvania. He had a Winchester automatic and a 12 gauge shotgun in the house. We shot all the time. I get the recreational use of guns. I understand the right to bear arms, but you can't have lunatics have guns. Okay. And you can't have them have guns that have bump stocks on them. I'm sorry. Okay. It's not a left or right thing. It's right or wrong. No, no. We got to lobby this person and that person. And even though it's the right policy, I'm sorry, we can't do that. That's Washington. So you don't sound jaded at all. It's a good thing. I mean, at least you're still the same person you are. I actually am not jaded. and it It's true because I love life. I love my country, but I'm a realist. See, that's not jaded. That's just telling you what is really, it's about. Remember I said on the stage there, I got an 11-day PhD in Washington scumbaggery. I know what they like. I know how they operate. I know they shoot each other from inside the tent. Okay, Dave Bossy. they wrote this vicious story about him. He's a very good friend of mine. That came from the Republicans. They are jealous of his relationship with Donald J. Trump. And so the guys that are trying to control Trump and trying to keep the establishment forces in power in Washingtons and the ones that are writing the anonymous letters in the New York Times— they're shooting bossy from the inside. He's not getting hit from the outside. That's Washington.
2: You used a qualifier in there when you said the scumbaggery, and I want to focus on it. You said Washington scumbaggery. Like, there's yeah, totally a It's totally different, yeah. So
1: elaborate on that. Wall Street scumbaggery is different from Washington was, scumbaggery. You've seen both sides. I have, yeah, because, you see, the problem on Wall Street is the reason why there's such bigger scumbags in Washington is the stakes are so small. So they're fighting over stupid stuff. So you got two eyeballs in your head. I got two eyeballs in my head. We're in Washington. We walk into the room, we start the conversation with four eyeballs. I stab out one of your eyeballs, you stab out one of my eyeballs, we leave with two eyeballs. Started with four eyeballs, we leave with two. Zero sum game, nobody's on anybody's team. Everybody's gotta shoot to kill each other. But on Wall Street, it's different. Wall Street, the stakes are high. So there's four people sitting at this table. Let's say I put a billion dollars on the table. You hate my guts, I hate his guts, he hates his guts. We all hate each other. It's like a Tarantino movie. Yeah, but there's a billion dollars on the table. Let me tell you something, okay? We have to fake liking each other and get this deal done, and we're going to split $250 million each. Are we going to do that? You're right, we are. You're going to fake liking me for I don't have to like you. We just have to do business together. Okay, that's the difference. You see that? So you got insecure people. They'll call up one of the reporters and say, hey- we gotta take out Sherman, man. We gotta write this very vicious story. You got guys in Washington to take a USB. Don't hand it to the reporter. It's a whole Oppo file on you. You blew a fart in the third grade. Miss Piggy got knocked to the floor. She bruised herself. We're gonna put that in the report. Look at what they did to this guy, Kavanaugh. I wish you a long life. But let me tell you something else I wish you. You wanna know what I wish you? May you not be the next Supreme Court nominee. They're gonna sausage that guy, okay? They're gonna kill him like in a slaughterhouse or her. And then they're going to grind them into sausage. You see what they did to the guy, Kavanaugh? So 37 years ago, you inappropriately touched somebody at a party. She don't remember it. You don't remember it. Even though you got calendars. That was a little weird. You got calendars from the day. That was the strangest thing. I mean. I thought that was strange, but very funny. And still has them. I think that's even worse. I thought that was strange, but funny. But the guy seems like a very smart guy, but they tried to annihilate the guy, right? That's Washington. Here's what we want to do. We're going to fire you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to try to demonize two-dimensionalize and humiliate you. Because if we do that, then your voice is not going to matter. If we're very, if like the politics of personal destruction and hatred, hopefully we'll get at least 50% of the country to hate your ass. And then this way, when you're telling the truth, they don't like you because we got you. We demonized you. We said that you were Paulie from uh, Jersey Shore. Yeah, you're Paulie from Jersey Shore. Yeah. So to be again, no whining, You think I'm acting bitter and all this stuff. I'm not. I'm just being aware. I'm just educating you on what I've learned. Love my country. I'm living a great life. I'm living the American dream, knock on wood. I'm a very blessed guy, and I'm very optimistic, and I love life. Okay, you can tell from this conference that I love life. You're smiling. (laughs) You're smiling. I haven't seen you around here without a smile. Okay, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, yeah, these guys in Washington, they really care about the people. They're really focused on having a 50-year plan to solve the problems of America, You got a K through 12 educational system that is completely crumbling in the country. So I did this pop quiz last night. I had a lot of VIPs at the table. Susan Rice and Admiral McRaven and General Kelly was at the cocktail party, but he had to leave for New York and had this like very interesting, eclectic mix of people at the table. I said, okay, raise your hand if you went to a public school K through 12. Okay. My hand's up. A lot of people's hands were up. Okay. Raise your hand if your kids are going to a public school K through 12 not a lot of hands went up. My hand went up because I'm in an affluent community in the suburbs and they're pumping a ton of money into that public school system. And so my son who's here, who was just on stage with Ben Horowitz, he went to a public school. He's going to Stanford Business School now, but he went to a really good public school. But what if he was in East Harlem or if he was in South Central? What if he was in South Boston? Is he going to a great public school? So we got lunatics on the left trying to equalize outcomes. And we know from history that you can't equalize an outcome. You're going to end up with death and destruction, okay? You can't systematize an equal outcome because we're human beings. But we're smart enough to try to create more equal opportunity, aren't we, as a group of people? Can't we figure out a way to create more equal opportunity? I think we should. I am the product of a public school system and two parents who never went to college. They were blue-collar people. But I lived in the aspirational working class. I lived in a... Society where I grew up in the middle class, and my parents hustled and they had a budget, but we were great I mean I was blessed with that now we got these people who are in the economically desperational situation so there there's a twenty five to thirty five year transfer from the aspirational working class to the desperational working class all of this is policy related all of this is trade related all of this is allowing the infrastructure to crumble, allowing the educational system to crumble. why these jackasses are in a thumb pie with their lobbyists and their special interests and not doing anything to really solve or think about the long-term strategic problems of the United States. So you got to be honest about it. I'm not going to sit here and not be honest about it.
3: Can we ever get there with this type of system that we got in place? I mean, you're making Game of Thrones seem rosy right now. Game of Thrones, this is so much fucking
1: worse than Game of Thrones. Let me tell you what this <laughs> is. Okay, This is Game of Thrones with the Hunger Games. This is like the screenwriters on the Game of Thrones got together with the Hunger Games guys. They said, okay, this doesn't suck enough. So let's bring in House of Cards. Okay, it's getting a little better. Okay. And we got to put the Veep guys in there too, because it's got to be a little cynical comedy in the whole thing, right? Otherwise, you're going to cry. So you got the Game of Thrones, House of Cards, Hunger Games, plus Veep. That's Washington, D.C. These people suck. They absolutely suck. And I'd love to debate any of them, any place, anywhere, because they can't. It won't show up in the debate because if you're armed with the facts and they're armed with lies and identity politics and. Demonization—they can't win a debate in a situation like that. You got to break the fever, and you got to convince the people that are not voting to get into the system. Then you'll start liquidating the extremists in the system. It's totally fixable. Isn't that the
3: AOC thing, though? She's getting the people out and bringing out the vote.
1: So AOC, you probably be surprised to hear me say this. I am very impressed with her. She's an incredibly hard worker. She's a very good communicator. She has a tremendous amount of charisma. What I'm not impressed with, she's not well educated on the issues, and. She's impetuous in terms of how she's trying to deliver policy. She hasn't really studied the issues. And so I would love to debate her, or I would love to educate her, or I would love to bring her someplace to explain to her that what she's suggesting that could work actually doesn't work. But there's pieces in there that
2: that give you hope. So like the Green New Deal, it gets lambasted. But at the end of it, some of the ideas there,
1: they're good intentions. I applaud her. I want her in the system. I'm not one of these guys. I'm not a Republican. Okay, AOC, bad. Let me shoot now. Here's my talking points on AOC. Blah, 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 blah. That's not me. Come into the pool with me, AOC. Let's talk about this because here's what you just did to your constituents. Through the politics of vindiction and vindictive politics, you hurt these people really badly because what's happening now, you have a have and have not society. And so now Jeff Bezos is coming in with Amazon. He's going to deliver 25,000 jobs, $150,000 apiece, 75,000 other ancillary jobs, $27 billion of tax revenues over 10 years into the city of New York. It's going to totally rebuild the city and create private sector infrastructure in the city and a gajillion dollars worth of positive externalities. No, we're not doing that. Fat cat from a corporate guy got rich and he's going to get richer. Can you pass me that uh, samurai? I need to cut my nose off here. I need to show these fat cats I'm AOC. Can you pass me the samurai? So what we're going to do is we're going to cut our nose off in the district. We're going to hurt all those people. Okay, you got a situation where Bill de Blasio hates Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo hates Bill de Blasio. They came together on that one. They wanted to help the city. You're not passing me the samurai. I got to cut my nose off. Okay, this is very important (laughs) because I got to hurt myself and my constituents to prove a point. That's where we're going if we're not careful, if we don't communicate better. So you'd mentioned trade in there.
2: Let's talk about how the trade leads to the polarization as well. A lot of people don't think about that, the tariffs. I know you told an anecdote before about your cousin and his glass shop. Explain to people how the trade
1: actually does impact the polarization we're seeing. Okay, so it's important, though, to provide historical context. So I'm going to speak quickly, but I want to explain it to you. So
2: With facts, not alternative facts. No, no,
1: no, no. I'm going to give you facts. Come on. You know I'm coming on with the facts. We're ending the Second World War. We're already building the system of the United Nations in 43, 44. FDR is actually working on it before his death. And we're gonna put this global system together to try to increase prosperity, further create Western-style democracy and Western-style consumption, and we're gonna try to repel the forces of communism. If you remember your history, George Kennan, who was under ambassador in Moscow, he wrote a letter back to the State Department by teletype, and he signed it Dr. X" or Mr. X," And what it basically was was a policy of containment. He said that Joe Stalin wants to take over everything. That's a way to create autocracy and authoritarianism and ruin the individual. And so, what we have to do is have a policy of containment. So, the first element of that for the United States was the Marshall Plan. So, let's talk about it. Very important. 100. It was probably 12.5 to 13 billion US dollars, 1949 dollars, approximately 166 billion of 2016 dollars. But to put it in real context for your listeners, it was $900 billion worth of GDP. For those countries. That's a very big number. And why do we do that? It's the first time that a vanquishing nation spent infrastructure money on those that were vanquished. We wanted to protect them from communism. We wanted to create a global market for our goods and services. And we knew that if we integrated them with us, we would reduce conflict. Let me tell you, the next thing we did, we went to the General Agreement of Trade and Tariffs, the GATT talks. And we said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to make this trade deal very, very unfair. Here's what we're going to do. Your goods and services are going to flow freely into the United States, relatively unencumbered, relatively untariffed. Our goods and services, we're going to accept a tariff. We're going to accept a blockade. We're going to allow you to protect your labor markets because you're so poor and we're the only standing industrialized society after the war. We're going to help you. We're going to help you create and burgeon your middle class. And so we did that in the 40s. We did it in the 50s. We're protecting ourselves from communism. We're creating this Western-style capitalism. We did it in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then NAFTA came. We did it on the North American continent. We said, okay, we're going to help the Mexicans. And so we uneven the trade once again. And then the WTO, which was the successor to GATT, we let the Chinese into the WTO and they came in as an emerging nation. So go Google that on your phone. An emerging nation, they're totally protected, they can protect their markets. Or a developed nation, we cannot protect ours. And so this system that we put in place to reduce conflict actually worked. We're 74 years out from the war. We've had very, very little conflict around the world. Yes, the United States is in two proxy wars, but they're not World War III wars. It's worked. But it had the deleterious side effect of hollowing out our manufacturing. It had the deleterious side effect of crippling some of the towns in these flyover states where those factories moved. And when I went to New Mexico with President Trump in May of 2016, somebody there said, hey man, this ain't New Mexico. You wanna know what new New Mexico is? Okay, that would be Mexico. And you guys know this, but it's worth repeating for your listeners, we lost 65,000 factories. They migrated across the border, went out to Mexico or other parts of the world as a result of this imbalance and this uneven trade policy which was born from the Treasury, the executive branch, and the State Department for good intention. And so what Trump's trying to say is that there's been malpractice. You've had elected leaders, Democrats, and Republicans that let this go. You should have started evening, particularly after the end of Soviet-style communism, the trading system. And so the trading system is completely uneven. He's trying to do it in five seconds. And that's where all the resistance is in the system. So this has caused middle-class wages in the U.S. to be in a stagnancy for two decades. You said back it up with facts. My dad's 1974 wages priced in 2014 by me, same local union, what are the wages for that guy's job, are down 26.5% in real economic terms. And so the same family, family of five, can't live in a suburban... Levittown style, Cape Cod home that we lived in with one bathroom for five people. Can't do that. Great lifestyle. I'm not knocking it. Never dishonor my dad's worth by telling I grew up poor. But they can't do that on that. So now the mother's got to go work. So the kids are going to be probably working too. And then maybe there could be some dependency on the government. And now you got a problem. And you've hollowed out the system. And so we have to fix that system. We have to come up with the right policies. And no, nobody's watching it and no one's paying close enough attention. So you can hate Trump, but at least Trump has identified the problem. He's a very good communicator, one on the presidency, but he's never going to explain it to you the way I just explained it to you. He's never going to provide the historical context necessary to move the thing to where it's got to go. It's a short phrase. It's a sound bite, it's what, yeah, sells, exactly. it's what sells in media today. Exactly. It's a gut instinct. And look, I mean, that's what's going on. That's why your show's great, because you give people an opportunity to express themselves, and you give people an opportunity to detail... What's actually going on? So
2: what are your ambitions in this? You're enjoying life, smiling around here. This is your environment, you know?
1: This is why I should have stayed in this environment. I mean, you know, but I learned a lot. But now people
2: are asking about, do you have ambitions to get back in the political spectrum?
1: Change that scumbaggery from the inside. I'm trying to stay married. Okay, you probably don't remember (laughs) this, okay? I mean, I got my ass kicked, okay? My wife filed for divorce. We got tabloided. We did the perp walk during the divorce court. It was absolutely brutal. Okay. We got two beautiful kids. I got three adult children from my first marriage. Deirdre was married once. I was married once. When you're married once and remarried, neither one of you are crazy. When you get two divorces and you go to your third marriage, you're fucking crazy, right? You know how it is, right? I mean, that's how it works, right? (laughs) Wait, how many marriages does
2: the president have? I don't know. He's got three marriages, okay? He's got
1: (laughs) this is one thing I love about the president, right? He's got three marriages. Five kids from the three wives. You know about Stormy, but he also had like a partly cloudy, a mostly sunny. He's had every fucking weather pattern, right? You know he's had every weather pattern, right? And so this is like the charm about the guy, right? This is why these establishment politicians really can't hit him. And the evangelicals still vote for him. That's what's amazing. You, you know? probably have to go, but I want to tell you something, and I want your listeners to pay attention to this, and I want them to follow this in 2020. You got a couple more minutes for of a quick course, story. Oh, we got plenty of time, but we just need to wind you up and let you yeah, go. You got that Trump Twitter insect light. This is one of Trump's weapons. Okay, let me explain to you what it looks like. It looks like the Twitter logo, and it's glowing blue. And what he does is he hangs it up on your porch if you're his adversaries. He puts up on a porch. Now, you're inside the house. So you're trying to eat. You're watching television. You could be Elizabeth Warren where you're trying to pop a beer in front of your Instagram account. You see her do that? Honey, do you want a beer? Right? Oh, hi, everybody. Let I me mean, give me a break. So now he does a number on you. He sends from the Trump Twitter insect light, he sends moonbeams into your brain. They screw into your brain. They go into the brain and inside the moonbeam, there's a time-release bomb. And that bomb goes off at the time of Trump's choosing. Not your choosing. And when the bomb goes off, you go out and do what he wants you to do. Let me tell you what it is. Ready? Pocahontas. Let's talk about Pocahontas. He's calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. I've only heard Trump apologize three times. Once during the Access Hollywood tape fiasco to his wife and the American public. Twice he apologized to Prime Minister May last July for doing that tabloid interview. And he apologized to the original Pocahontas and her family for comparing Elizabeth Warren to Pocahontas. Those are the three times that he's apologized. So now he's hitting her with the Pocahontas. The Pocahontas, I've got more Native American in me than you do. Pocahontas. So you probably didn't read the article, but eight of her aides said, please don't go get the DNA test. But they forgot about the Trump Twitter insect light. And so what happened is the moonbeam shot into her head. The bomb exploded to the great protestation of her staff. She runs out and gets the DNA test. Now she comes back to the table. You can't even make this up. She's 1,024th Cherokee. She's very proud of this. She gets to a microphone like this and she's declaring it. And the Cherokee Nation, the chief says, you're not ours. You are not ours. Now, she's got to apologize to the Cherokee Nation. And then the next week, lo and behold, it shows up that she wrote on her 1986 bar application in Texas that she's Native American. He killed her, politically. Do you see that? So she's got one nick. In Trump world, that's not even a paper cut. That's like an acupuncture needle. Okay, it's not even a paper cut in Trump world, given this guy, but that's Trump. The bar code on Trump's hiney, it says, okay, you're gonna buy this product. It's a little damaged. The guy's a little nuts, but he's your nut. He's got the three wives and the five children. He has the whole weather pattern of girlfriends. So now your expectations are down here. But Elizabeth Warren has spent 40 years of her life trying to build your expectations up here. So one Nick can knock her off that pedestal. You see what's happening? How are you going to beat a guy like Trump with establishment politicians? The definition of insanity is to repeat the same thing over and over again and expect a different outcome, right? These guys are all the same he's going to take the orange bowling ball and he's going to bowl for dollars on that stage. He's going to knock him right through that window.
2: So the front runner seems to be all of a sudden is Joe Biden. Yeah. So, I mean, he's establishment. Mm-hmm. So does he have a chance?
1: I think he has a chance because uh, the president is his own worst enemy. And I think what Newt Gingrich said, who can beat Trump? They asked Newt Kendrick. He said Trump. Trump could beat Trump. He likes taking a gun out and blowing his left foot off in the morning. So, okay, everything's going great. I told my wife last weekend, okay? You can ask her you meet meters. Friday night, the economic data came out. You cannot believe the strength of the economy. It's literally, President Trump has helped to create an economic miracle in the country. And it really should be a case study at Harvard or Stanford about good economic policies from the government can lead to good economic outcomes. We've got to deal with the deficit issue, but by and large, it's been very, very good. So I'm reading this report on Friday. I turned to my wife. I said, okay, the foot's going to get shot off sometime between now and Monday. She said, what are you talking about? I know. He's going to hurt himself because he he likes doing it. And then boom, we get the tweet and we got to take down the market. We're going to take out the Chinese and let's fire out a few more tweets. I'm going to show you who's boss. And I'm going to give you guys all a little bit of pain here. i got to make it hard for myself.
2: But he's always that contradiction that way, too, because he takes credit for the economy via the stock market. And then he does these things that are self-inflicted. I think back to December. Things were not great out there in the markets. All of a sudden he comes out and he claims, I'm tariff man. Then he has like one of his, was the Treasury Secretary, Mnuchin, comes out and says, I've talked to all the CEOs over the weekend and all the banks are solvent. We had this massacre on Christmas Eve. Stock market's in like four and a half percent when everybody's trying to celebrate. These are self-inflicted wounds that That's
1: aren't my necessary, point. right? you're going to shoot his foot off. Anytime something really good is going on, let me blow my left foot off and see if I can get it to grow back. That's what he does. But why? well he can't help himself, man. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is who he is. MO. This yeah. is who he is. I like the guy. I support the guy. I'm loyal to the guy. But I'm also running $12 billion of capital, so I can't be one of these talking heads with talking points and lean partisan. I got to be objective like you guys. And I've got to be observational. And I got to deploy capital based on a reasoned and rational analysis of what the potential outcomes are.
2: So where are we in it today? So you. So he likely that- wins. Yeah.
1: He likely wins. Yeah, he likely wins because the economy will be strong enough. What is Gunlock saying?
2: Well, I mean, look, at this point, the data's turning. It looks positive at this point. He said short all the Democratic candidates this week. I think that was some. he came out, said
1: short them all. They don't stand a chance. And so look, so you know- I think Jeff's got great instincts. He told me, and I hope you- okay for me to say this no he told uh, me in april, he told me in april totally true you can see the tape of it he was on my show wall street week he told me in april of 2016 that trump was going to win period the end he explained why and he said he's going to run up a big deficit we got to be cautious about that and both of those things happen
2: yeah well i think the thing is is that where we are in the spending cycle and you get a little more stimulus i mean the economy will look good going to the election next year i mean well, that's the big move with the infrastructure by the way yeah right People are throwing a $2 trillion number down on this thing today.
1: He knows if he can lock and load on the infrastructure and the extra $2 trillion will stimulate GDP growth. And we know one and a half two percent 2% GDP growth going into November, very hard to unseat a incumbent. I can tell you my mother, quick story. My mother's 82 now, 2012, seven years ago. I'm working for Governor Romney. He's been to the Social Conference, great guy. Him and Trump disagreeing a lot, but he's a very good human being. So I'm working for Governor Romney. Ma, who are you voting for? Barack Obama. I'm working for Governor Romney. Why are you voting for Barack Obama? Hey, my Social Security check comes on time. Last time I checked, my Medicare plus the supplemental you're paying for me, beautiful. Why am I disrupting that again? Oh, by the way, he seems like a nice young man, and he hasn't done anything wrong. Did he blow up North Korea? Did he send us into a nuclear war? Are we in World War III? We're not. I'm totally fine. I'm voting for Barack Obama. Okay, ma. Thanks, ma. I'm working for Mitt Romney. She's voting for Barack Obama. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's the average American, okay? They're looking at this thing saying, okay, he's trying his hard. He's not doing anything too bad. He shoots himself in the foot with the Twitter feed. Trump's issue is not what he's doing because his policy is actually very good. I mean, I can disagree. You probably heard me dis- lay out a few things I don't like. What he's doing is okay. How he's doing it, that's the issue for him. He's slowing down people that want to vote for him. I say, okay, wait a minute, really, is that what you're saying? Okay, ooh, that's a little bad. I'm trying to teach my kid not to be a bully. I'm a white suburban housewife. You're calling Rex Tillerson, Dumb as a Rock on Twitter, and it's on national television. I'm trying to teach my kids not to bully each other. What are you doing? And then they say, "You know what? I'm exhausted from this. I'll vote for Sleepy Joe Biden." Well, you mention? That's a bad nickname. though. That's the first nickname that Trump has come up with that I don't totally get. Yeah, you know what I mean. He is the king of nicknames. He's- yeah, he'll. Come- I bet you he comes up with a different nickname. I think he goes into like, well, Sleepy Joe's not that insulting. It's not that insulting. By the way, here's the thing: he doesn't nickname the adversaries that he respects. Does Nancy Pelosi have a nickname? That's a f- I never she doesn't of that. have I never one because that. he respects her. He's like, okay, this one is solid. I mean, she's on the other team, but she's you know she's telling these people normal things. Don't impeach me. Yeah. Try did, to beat him at Schumer the ballot He does a nickname. Crying Chuck. Oh, crying, crying Chuck. Chuck. Oh, crying Come on, my me. man. <laughs> By the way, whoever runs against Trump is going to have an internationally recognized nickname <laughs> yeah. at, at the end of this Hey,
2: thing. nicknames are good. They bring this ubiquity with it, right? I agree.
3: Did Trump get any closer on the swamp? Or will he get any closer on the swamp? No.
2: Come on, he can't feel No. By not replacing jobs, that's kind of draining the swamp. If you want to actually somewhat,
1: Somewhat, somewhat. It's not helping because the people that are in the jobs have more power. And no one wants the jobs. That's probably what yeah, exactly. it is. Let me tell you something, okay? I don't even think it's a swamp, guys. I don't think it's a swamp. I think it's a gold plated hot tub without a drain. These guys sit in a hot tub. Let me tell you what they do. They're okay? all one percenters, right? right? I mean, oh, yeah, my God. They're disgusting. Yeah, that's what's so funny about it. Disgusting hypocrites. Right? So you walk in, and the swamp. Creature, the creature from the Black Lagoon, he's looking at you and he's got a thing in his head. It's like one zero in the computer. He says, Bought, can't be bought. Bought, can't be bought. And he looks at the guy, so Bought? Okay, yeah, that's great. Here's two bottles of Cristal. Here's a Cubano. Come sit in this gold plated hot tub with me, okay? Let me tell you how we're going to do this stuff. We're going to have power and influence and I'm going to pay you. It great. I figured out on day three, you're talking about a PhD in Washington scumbaggery. I figured out that the comms people that were staffers. They were never going to stop leaking because their leaking of information was a commodity to the people they were linking to. So they would go to the guy that would press and say, okay, listen, I'm sitting in here right now because my guy's in office. I'm going to leak this to you, but I'm going to need a job in a few months. Can I go work at your news organization? Oh, and by the way, you may be in here someday and then you'll leak to me. So there's a commodity transfer that was going on that was valuable. A revolving door. How was I going to stop the leak? And what I would have had to have done was I would have blown all of them out and brought in my team that were not from Washington. Those guys wouldn't have given a shit and they would have not leaked. That would have been a problem for Washington because how are we going to get all this entertainment? How are we going to try to destroy the president? And so they were coming at me from every angle. Once they figured out that I meant business and I built a couple of companies and I know how to run an organization, they said, well, we got to get this guy out of here. This guy's not going to start. He doesn't want to be in the lie bubble machine that we're in. So look, I mean, if you can be bought here the champagne, sit in the hot tub, right? Rancid and Steve Bannon and those guys. And then if you can't be bought, oh, we got to kill you, man. I'm sorry. You seem like a nice guy, but we're going to write an op op thing about you. We're going to tabloid you. We're going to two-dimensionalize you. We're going to find a weakness and we're going to crush you out of this place. Now, let me tell you what happens after we crush you. We're going to build you this shame box and you're going to sit in the corner inside the shame box with a Dunn's cap on, stare in the corner. We never ever want to hear from you again, and they do that to people. And people that are not strong, they let that happen. I laughed. I said, "Oh, that's, you try to do a number on me? I'm gonna do a number on you. You're not gonna just do a number on me before I do the number on you." So they thought I was disappearing, man. If, okay, we killed this guy. We almost knocked out his business. We killed his conference. We. We humiliated him and we crushed them, So we'll never hear from that guy again. How'd that work out? Hey, you got an open mic right now. Okay. How you did that work out? We got a platform. I, I told okay. Trump, you made me as famous as Melania and Ivanka. I didn't have to sleep with you or be your daughter. Okay. So we're just fine, you and me. It's no problem. Okay? okay. But now let's use it to explain to the American people what's really going on so that we can fix it. So we can flood the system with normal people to squeeze out and dilute the stupidity. It's impressive. You mentioned President Obama. I didn't even have enough caffeine this morning. I feel like I'm undercaffeinated. <laughs> I feel like this is like an undercaffeinated podcast for some yeah, reason. I mean, I don't it's sure, like I'm sure you like, can, like, can get you some. Coffee, I'm, like, I'm drinking drink it right now, yeah. baby. I All just right. don't feel like I'm you like get a, President Obama. I, feel like I have
2: the zip that I usually have. You know what I mean. One thing I noticed is that. You went to Harvard Law with President Obama. I did. How was your relationship? Did
1: you guys hang out? No, I mean, gonna, class, I'll tell you a funny like. story because I did support Obama because my buddy's from law school. And your mom told you to, too, as well. Well, that was That's 2012. Yeah. Well, I didn't support yeah. him in 2012. 2008, I'm handing him a check at the University Club in New York. I said, hey, I said, Senator, you know, we didn't really know each other that well in law school. But I'm about to write you a check. I'm going to, have to hand you a check. Can I lie to people and tell them that we were like really good friends in law school? I'm about to pay <laughs> right. you like a big number. Right? He looks at me he and says, he says, hey man, if you double the amount of the check, we can take it right back to Hawaii. I thought that was great. Okay. <laughs> so, so the point being is that he had a great sense of humor. Barack Obama, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Okay, when that guy smiles, okay, go take a look at this guy's smile, okay? He lights up a room. You could tell he's having fun, right? So I supported him. And so I didn't really know him that well. But who I did know very well, who's having his farewell party today, and he invited me, but I'm here, and Jeff Sessions flew out to Washington to his farewell party, is Ralph Rosen. Knew him very, very well. He was in Rod Rosenstein. Sorry, he was in my. He was the deputy AG before yeah, I beginning. Deputy AG, it. and he was in my section. And he was letter R. I was letter S. We sat together, and he was a great guy. And I told Trump, he's a totally great guy. This guy's a Boy Scout. Don't believe this deep state nonsense. This guy's a Boy Scout. He's here to do the right thing. He'll treat you fairly. Don't listen to him. Remember, the the right wing has got a bunch of lunatics too with all the conspiracy theories and all that nonsense. It's the same way the left come on, let's cut it out, guys. Over the next 150 years, we got to compete. You want to compete or you want to pee on each other? I would prefer to compete. You heard what I said about Trump, but they said, what was your advice for Trump? Same policies, less crazy, like taste great, less filling. Just be a little less crazy, man. Same policies, less crazy. You have a 65% approval rating.
2: So I think of that when we're thinking about the Fed these days too, people are talking about bringing in pragmatists, business people, less PhDs. Could the same thing be said for Washington. Is that a good
1: recipe? Bring in guys like you. that are in business. understand it. They hate yes. that. It'll never happen. What the Washingtonians have done is they've built a system to protect themselves from people like me. So here's what you got to do, Anthony. You have to sell your business, liquidate all of your assets, put everything into cash, and then you can come into Washington. That's why you get lobbyists and lawyers and academics. Somebody that built a big business like mine, they typically don't go to sell them. That's why Wilbur Ross, all these other guys are in a fight with the ethics committee. I think it's very unfair to Wilbur Ross, frankly. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. Bring brilliant guys into Washington, figure out a way to allow them to come into the system. But they create these barriers to entry, and Trump broke that barrier. Trump was like, okay, you can accept this or not accept this. Trump had a great lifestyle. He had a reality television show. He's living a luxurious life in a number of different properties. He's got golf courses all over the world. He's flying around a 757. Come on. Guy had a great life. Now he's president of the United States. He's taking flaming arrows every day. So they didn't expect that. Now, let me tell you something. If I'm an establishment guy, I can't have him succeed. Wait a minute. He beat politicians that had 40 years of experience together, unbelievable resumes. He went from being a reality star and a business mogul 17 short months later to being president. And he's going to be successful? No, i got to kill the guy. I'm sorry. I can't have this guy be successful. Do you think Trump expected to win the presidency? Did he want it? There were moments in the uh, campaign where he thought he was going to win, and then there were moments in the campaign where he thought he was not going to win. And that night, we did not think he was going to win. You said that night, you're talking election night. The election night, yeah. If you anybody asks Governor Christie, you can ask the president. He'll tell you it is his room. He didn't think he was going to win. The exit polling data was uh, slightly inaccurate in places like Florida and Pennsylvania, and they were calling those places early for Secretary Clinton, and there's no way to win. He won those two states and became president. What's next for you? Is it the Skybridge thing, continue doing this? Or you want to step your back in that arena? You want to try to clean it up, bring the business No, folks? I'm going to stay married. Okay. Oh, yeah, we talked about Name it. Name father, son, and a holy ghost. going to try to stay married. Number two, I'm going to try to build this conference into a bigger platform. Number three, which I think is also very, very important, in my mind, at least I think is very important, is I'm going to create more products for our clients, because I think we've got a very good track record, and it's a 15-year record now, and we've got very accomplished people on the money management side, I think we can create a number of different products here, particularly, I think we're going into a period of greater volatility as the Fed raises rates. I'd be interested to see what Jeff and you guys say about that, but... I would suspect that as rates go up, given what we all know about rates, the physical gravity of financial assets, they'll create more market uncertainty. So we need more versatile products for that. And that's what I'm going to work on. And hopefully I'll get you guys back here to the song conference.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. Well, thanks for having us here. But more importantly, congratulations on your success here. Hey, thank you, man. I think that's awesome, thank too. Thank you. And, you know, America loves the comeback story. You were always a superstar in this space. And you said you
1: Very took a nice. risk, you went and did it. Yeah, and, it was uh, like mayhem from the Allstate commercial. I came in through the roof. <laughs> I slightly damaged myself, but I'm still walking.
2: Yeah, and like I said, it's great to see people. I'm great to see you smiling around here. People are excited you, to be you remember here. remember
1: that scene so, in Austin Powers where Wolf Fowler drives off the cliff? He yeah, says, hey, I'm still alive. I'm badly bleeding. I'm badly burned, but I'm still here. That was me, man. Yeah. All right. Well, before, before we That's let's a leave. lesson for your listeners, yeah. though. Don't give up, man. And if something looks humiliating or embarrassing or you blew up or you did something wrong, forgive yourself. Dust yourself off, don't really think about it that much, and go forward. Yeah, and I mean,
2: still here with your American pen. It's got a lot of
1: shine and glisten on it. Joy Behar says to me, we're talking about a bejeweled American flag. She says to me, what are those rhinestones? I said, Joey, come on, I'm a nouveau riche Italian. Do you think a nouveau riche Italian from Long Island would wear rhinestones? No. I called Jacob the jeweler, you know? Yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> if I was just Italian-Italian, of course I'd be wearing rhinestones, but I got a little bit of dough. I yeah. bought the real jewels. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. Looks good. So before you leave, Anthony,
2: we got one little segment we like to do at the end. We want to get into the inner workings. I don't know if we heard enough out of what's really going on in your mind. Okay, go yeah, ahead. That's what Sam does here, and I'm going to let him introduce it, and then we'll get you out of here.
1: All right, go ahead. <laughs>
3: And that part is called Sherman Says, so I'm going to give you a term and hopefully that prompts a top of mind response. I alternate between you and Sherman. I'm going to start off Sherman first with fiscal policies.
2: It's a disaster, but the tensions are right. We just got to figure out how to pay for it. Next one for you is 2020.
3: Trump. muni's, Sexy. (laughs) The Russians. Adversaries. Venezuela. Adversaries. Executive privilege. Necessary. China. Stimulating. Mueller report. Over. Yield curve. Steepening. Guilty pleasure.
1: Oh, my God. Sex with my wife. Is that bad? Hey, you can do what you like. All right, so my wife.
2: (laughs) All right, well, thanks again. We had the mooch here today. You can catch us at DoubleLine.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Again, feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about the moots today. Sherman Show at doubleline.com. Look forward to the next episode. Thanks again.
1: All right. God bless.
0: The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor. Including and respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2019, Double Line Capital.